Sunday, churches all across the country uh, do, and that is the worship leader will say something like, He is risen, and then the church will respond, He is risen indeed. Now, I realize we come to church, you're not used to speaking. You sing, but you don't want to speak. But I, I hope you will, you will do this with me. I hope you will respond, He is risen indeed in a full-throated kind of way. Not kind of a, you know, a passive kind of way, but I hope you will really respond. So let's do this. You all stand with me, please. You all be standing. And remind you, I'm going to say, He is risen, and then I'm going to signal, and you say, He is risen indeed. Okay, does that, does that sound good? All right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Be seated. Now, you all said that like you believe it. And if we believe that central truth, it makes a difference with regard to everything. Well, the passage that we read just a moment ago dealt head-on with an issue that every single person in this room has dealt with or is dealing with. And that subject is death. And honestly, death is really not a topic that we like to talk about very much. And yet, if we're honest, it's something that's always playing in the back of our minds because we know that one day, barring an early return of Jesus, one day we're going to experience that. And we have questions about it, don't we? We wonder, is, is death a period or a comma? Is death, is death a bend in the road or is it the end of the road? Probably a lot of us in this room have heard of the name Stephen Hawking. Um, Mr. Hawking was probably the most famous scientist in the world for the last few years, and he passed away recently. He struggled with Lou Gehrig's disease, um, ALS, for a number of years. And Hawking once made this statement. He said, there is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And so as I heard that, that comment, I wondered, is that all we are? Or all we are is a, a broken-down computer protoplasm waiting to become manure? Is death the end? Is it, is it the period at the end of the sentence? What if there's a better answer for death? Now, because this subject is, is so difficult, we, we deal with it in a number of ways. For instance, sometimes we, we sort of play it off in a humorous kind of, of fashion. Uh, I, I heard recently Jerry, fame, uh, Jerry Seinfeld famously said, most studies show that, that people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. People's second greatest fear is death. Does that, does that sound right? This means to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. <laughs> well, sometimes we try to, you know, giggle about it, you know, make jokes about it, because we're really uncomfortable with the subject. Still, others, as we try to deal with death, we just don't deal with it at all. We ignore it altogether. Have you noticed that talking about this subject really has become kind of a, a taboo issue? We can talk about anything except death. And yet, as far as I know, every one of us in this room will have to deal with it. Here's the sobering truth. I'm 55 years old, and I am dying. It might take another 30 years to finish the job, but 
but I'm headed toward death and so are you. Now, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? (laughs) We can't just ignore it. This issue is too pressing. It's too important. It's too significant. And so today we're going to look in John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open to that passage. And as we look in John chapter 11, Jesus is going to help us deal with this issue. We're really going to look at two big ideas that come out of John chapter 11. Now, we're immediately drawn into the story in John 11 because of the way it opens. It opens in verse 1 where John says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. We're drawn into the story because we all know what it's like to be sick. We all know what it's like to sit in a, a waiting room of a hospital, probably. We all know what it's like uh, to, be, to be sick or maybe even to fake sickness and not want to go to school. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there's probably some kids in this room who from time to time get that, you know, on, on, on Sunday night. They've got a bad feeling in their stomach. They don't really want to go to school. And yet others of, others of us know what it's like when we're really sick, when we know our, our child is sick, and the doctors don't, can't find out why the child is sick, we know what it's like to wait in hospital rooms with a loved one who's very sick. We're drawn into this story immediately. Jesus tells us, or rather John tells us, a man named Lazarus was sick. This person we know as Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they're all very close to Jesus. John tells us that that Mary was the one who previously had brought some oil and she anointed Jesus' feet with oil. It was a very tender, loving, wonderful thing that she had done. Jesus may have been closer to these three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, than any other persons except his disciples. He'd spent a lot of time with them. He loved them. And so now he finds out that that Lazarus, Lazarus is, is ill. And when Jesus hears this, he says this, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus doesn't get in a hurry. God never does. His timing is always perfect. He waits a couple of more days And then he begins to make this journey over to see his friend, Lazarus. And he says in verse 11 to his disciples who are with him, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now, if you think about that image, death as sleep, it really sort of changes it a bit, doesn't it? Because death is something that's tranquil. Or rather, sleep is something that's tranquil. Sleep is something that that we all do. And so so Jesus says, I'm going there to wake him up. He's he's fallen asleep, and his his disciples don't really understand what he's getting at. They can't can't comprehend what Jesus is saying. And so they say, well, if he's he's sleeping, that's that's a good thing, isn't it? I mean, we we all need sleep when when we're ill. And so they think he's just ill, but then... In verse 14, Jesus speaks more bluntly and he makes it clear to his disciples. He says, Lazarus is dead. Those are stunning words. Harsh words. And so they make this journey to Bethany. And as they near Bethany, Jesus sees in the the distance Martha, this this woman that he, he loved, He sees her, she's coming out to meet him. Evidently, Martha had heard that Jesus was making his way to to where they were. 
to meet him. And when Martha sees Jesus, she says this. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha, I think, is this no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is kind of person. And her statement is just a little bit indicting. Jesus, why didn't you get in, a, in more of a hurry? If you had been here, he would not have passed away. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha, I think, was one of those persons who always kind of pushed for clarity. She didn't quite understand what he was getting at. She said, you know, my, my, I know my brother will rise again in, in the resurrection. Martha understood that there was this general resurrection at the end of time, but, but she missed her, her brother right now. He's dead now. And so she's deeply hurt. But then Jesus looks at her and says words that are filled with such good news. They're words that each of us need to hear today as we especially think about this tough issue. Jesus looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Notice, Jesus does not say, I offer resurrection and life. No, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, when you're connected to him, when you live in him, when you follow him, when you believe in him, understand, that's what you experience. You experience resurrection, and you experience life, and that's such good news. And notice, Jesus also said, I am am all through john's gospel he makes these i am statements seven times he says i am the way the truth and the life i am the light of the world i am and here he says the resurrection and the life i believe when jesus uttered those words when he said i am those original hearers would have known exactly what jesus was getting at you see Little kids in Israel, they had their heroes. And one of their greatest heroes was Moses. And they all knew that story one time when, when Moses, he came in contact with this bush that, didn't, that was burning and it didn't burn up. And Moses spoke to that bush. Moses, as, as the, the bush actually spoke, Moses said, who, who is this? And out from the bush came two words. I am. And so now here is Martha. She's in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus says, I am. And Martha would have known at that moment who she was speaking to. She wasn't just speaking to an amazing storyteller. She wasn't just standing in the presence of someone who did incredible things. She was standing in the presence of of I am. She is looking at God. She is standing in the presence of the one who created the world and who sustains the world. And so Martha, she's stunned by all of this. Her, her mind is a whirl, and she decides to go get her sister Mary. And so Mary comes back, and so when she sees Jesus, she immediately falls at Jesus' feet. And she says much the same thing as Martha had said earlier. Evidently, these two sisters, they'd had conversation about this. 
And now I want you to imagine this scene. Here's Mary at the feet of Jesus. She's sobbing. And some people who, who she knows has come, have come with her, and they're sobbing as well. And he looks down, and he sees Mary, and he sees Martha. She's there. And as Jesus looks at these two precious sisters whose hearts are broken because their brother is dead, Jesus' face begins to turn red. His eyes begin to fill with tears. And those tears roll down his cheeks and onto his beard. Here's here's the one who said, I and the Father are one. Here is the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, the great I am, the all-powerful, almighty one. They're standing in his presence, and as we look into the eyes of Jesus, he's crying. He's weeping. Understand, this God is not indifferent to our struggles. This God is not indifferent to our pain. This is a God who is now choking back tears. And then in verse 33 it says, he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. Now, I don't really like that translation, and and, and most scholars don't, because it's not a very good translation of this passage. I like what Eugene Peters now, he translated it in the message. He translates this word in a much stronger way. He renders this phrase, deep Anger welled up in him. In this moment, Jesus is not just sad. He's not just weeping. No, Jesus is angry. He's extremely angry. And as people looked at Jesus, everyone knew that he was angry. And we wonder, why why was he angry? What's he angry about in this moment? I tell you, he's not angry at Mary and Martha. He's not angry that he didn't do anything earlier. He's angry for the same reason you and I get angry when we hear the word cancer. When cancer invades our family, we think it's just not right. This is not how it's supposed to be. He's he's angry for the same reason when someone we love dies way too early. And we say it's not supposed to be like that. He's angry when he looks at our world and he sees violence or he sees racism or he sees other troubles that that plague our world. He gets angry for the same reason we get angry. Jesus looks at Mary and Martha and he sees and feels their hurt and he's angry that they're having to deal with this. What is Jesus angry at? He's angry at what sin and evil have done to the world. And he looks at Mary and Martha. And he's so mad because of what they're having to go through right now. And so Jesus asks, where have you laid him? Come and see, they say. He knows he's about to raise Lazarus. He knows he's about ready to call him out of the tomb. And yet it still says in in John chapter 11, verse 35, it says that Jesus, Jesus wept. It's because he cares so deeply. And as those who are standing there watching all of this, they look at Jesus and they say, see how he loved him. And so now they're in front of the tomb. And Jesus says, move the stone away. And and Martha, you got to love Martha. I I love her for the fact that she's outspoken and honest. We, We see her.
in this story. And Martha says, but Lord, he's been in there four days. By this time, the body would have already started to decay and decompose. And so at this moment, three or four guys, they come, and, and those guys, they, they push, they roll that stone away. The crowd of friends and family and curious onlookers grows. I believe in this moment, the weeping and the mourning stops, and there's this, there's this silence. In the heat of the day, there's this complete silence. All you can hear is that stone being rolled along the track grooves. And as the stone rolls away, there's a wave of a stench that comes out of that tomb. Have you ever smelled something so bad? Something so bad that it made your eyes burn? It is the smell of death. And now Jesus, the great I am, he's, he's staring into the face of the most foul, base element of humanity. He's staring into death, and he breaks the silence with a prayer. As was Jesus' custom, he lifted his hands, and he looked up into the heavens, and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Notice, have heard me. Jesus had already been praying. More than likely, he'd been praying for this family ever since he heard that they were ill, that, that Lazarus was ill. And he goes on, he says, I, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you have sent me. That same voice that brought the world into existence, that same voice that called Abraham out of Ur, that same voice that reverberated on Mount Sinai, that same voice now thunders, Lazarus, come out! I love what the old preacher said one time. He said he, he called Lazarus out because if he didn't specify, the whole cemetery would have emptied. And Mary and Martha are looking into the cave. Everyone standing there, they're, they're looking in, straining to see. And as they look into that cave, they see something amazing. They see a figure that's shuffling along. And as they look, the figure grows more clear. They, they look and they see it's, it's Lazarus. Lazarus is walking out of the tomb. Friends, this just doesn't happen. Dead men don't come back to life. But Lazarus did. And by the power of God, Lazarus is now standing there, fully alive, in front of the crowd. Friends, I think this, this story intersects our lives in at, least, in at least two places. I think it intersects us, first of all, in that this, this story will really equip us to face death. Lazarus has become the victim of something that Jesus defeats. Jesus imposes life where there was only before the prospect of death. Death will not have the final word in this man's life, and death will not have the final word in our life either. I think I've told you before that when I have 
the opportunity to, to preach at a, at a funeral. Maybe the most difficult time of that day is when we finally make it to the cemetery and when we're there and there's the casket and that casket is lowered down into the grave and dirt is started to put over the casket and the casket's buried. And more often than not, I will say something like this in that moment. I will say, it, it feels like this is all there is. It feels like, like it's done, like it's over, like it's finished. It feels like defeat in this moment. But I want you to know if I believe in anything, if I believe in the gospel, which I do, I believe this is not all there is. This is not a period. This is not the end of the road. This is the bend of the road. And one day, one day, just like Jesus did with Lazarus, one day Jesus is going to say, it's time. And he comes back and every, every grave is opened and we come back in the, when it, are given a new glorified, resurrected body. Jesus equips us to face, to face death. You see, when I read John chapter 11, this story, I understand this is a preview of coming attractions. But this story, second of all, it equips us to face life. It equips us to live a different kind of life right now because we know death has been defeated. There's one little detail in this story. You might miss it if you're not careful. And the detail is this. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And I said a moment ago, he he shuffles out of the tomb. Why does he shuffle out of the tomb? It's because he's still wrapped up in all that, all the grave clothes. He's still wrapped up in all those clothes. And Jesus says something to those who were standing there. Jesus says, "Take, uh, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I'm convinced that some of us need to hear this same message this morning. Because, you see, we've experienced life with Christ. We've gone down into the tomb. We've gone down into the watery grave. We've been raised up and been given brand new life. And yet too many of us are still wrapped up in those old grave clothes. We're wrapped up in those old habits and those old attitudes and those old perspectives. And we we really want to live resurrected lives. We want to live not bound up. We want to live in freedom. And here is Lazarus. He's still bound up in the grave clothes that he's had. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Notice who's Jesus speaking to. Jesus is not speaking to Lazarus. He's speaking to those who are standing nearby. He's saying, take those grave clothes off Lazarus. You see, we need the church. We need relationships. We need brothers and sisters to help us to get free so that we don't have live in that old life. Maybe this morning you're still bound up in something, bound up in old bondages, old arguments, old sin, old behavior, old attitudes. Friends, if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you've been raised up to live a new life. You've been raised up by the power of God. It's not your power. It's not willpower. No, friends, it is resurrection power. This amazing story, like so many other stories in John's gospel, it, it points elsewhere. This amazing story in John chapter 11, it, it foreshadows an even greater event. You see, Jesus in John 11, he shed tears. But we're going to find in just seven chapters later, he's not just going to shed tears, he's going to shed blood.
he would die on a cross and Jesus on the third day would be raised. Jesus equips us to face death because he himself has overcome death. Jesus will give life by giving his own life. I wonder, don't you, how Mary and Martha responded to this. They look into the cave and they see, they see their brother coming out of the cave. They never thought they would see him again, especially when he went into that cave and when they sh- shut it and it seemed death, it seemed like it was over, it was the end. And so now they see him and he's standing there. What do they do? Oh, they run over to him. And they very carefully began unwrapping his clothes. And they look into Lazarus' eyes, and Lazarus looks into Mary and Martha's eyes, and they, they begin to weep again. But this time, they're not weeping because they're so sad. They're, they're weeping because they're so filled with joy. You know, there's, there's coming a time Death has been defeated. Christ came up out of the tomb on the third day. But we live lives right now between, on Saturday, really. We we live Saturday kind of lives, and we're waiting for Sunday. We're waiting for that day when Jesus, we see him coming in the air, and the dead in Christ rise first, and there'll be a grand reunion And we'll be together in eternity forever, celebrating around the throne of God. I think as Mary and Martha looked at Lazarus and they began to cry, they said, we can't hardly believe it. Jesus said earlier, John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus asked a question. And it's the question we need to grapple with as we end our message today. Jesus looked at them and he said, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you do, it will affect how you live, and it'll affect how you die. Today, if if you've never experienced Christ in baptism, if you've never gone down into the tomb and been buried with him and raised up to newness of life, there's no better time than right now on Easter Sunday to experience that. We would love to help you with that. Or if you have another need we can help you with, we'll have some elders and wives in the back and an elder down here. We'd love to help you in any way we can. Come as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for the-